least 58 people now dead. More than 500 people wounded in a horrific shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. Today, protesters against white supremacists took to the streets of Durham, North Carolina. We begin with breaking news from Charlottesville, Virginia. Where a Wednesday night Bible study erupts in gunshots. Protesters were out in the Well, good morning, everyone. That was just a sampling of the news and the events and occasions and the reality of the world we live in. It's not a reality TV show either. It's the real deal. And we look at images like that. So many of us, uh, uh, we, even though we're impacted in some way, uh, we can be so insulated by uh, media and uh, distance that we don't quite feel the tension and the pain in those kinds of clips. And it just reminded me of the fire that we just had recently with the Lobo fire right here, just right over this ridge. Uh, 24 of our neighbors lost their homes and you know, thousands of people evacuated right out here in this area. And so all of their lives were impacted in a huge way by that reality. And yet we also have people who live over on this side of our community. And, you know, other than the fact that maybe there was an inconvenience because the school was closed or uh, some other, you know, event like that, very few could feel what these folks were actually feeling. And we got to see that right here as we had people come who were evacuated and all kinds of folks and the reality of how their life was changed. I talked with a woman right out in the lobby between, you know, services, and she said that she's from Loma Rica, and the whole place is, you know, burned, much of it's burned to the ground. And then she had someone come in and actually uh, next door had a house invasion the night before, and so she's seen all of this uh, craziness go on. And yet so many of us, we are sleeping through that, and we're insulated, and we don't get to see the devastation that people leave, live with. We, don't, we see it on the screens, but we don't really get to understand the divisiveness in the hearts of people. We don't understand the racism that goes on, the discrimination, uh, the hatred that's just so easily spoken human against human in our culture today with no regard for the rights or the feelings of someone else. We're in a really powder keg of a time as we listen to that bass at the end of that clip just now, just a total powder keg where emotions are frayed, right? Patience is thin. Capacity is low. Tension is high. In some cases, it's, over, it's, it's running out the top. Fear is contagious and hope is fragile. For me, this is what I felt. It was August 12th, and I was working on my message, and as I was working on my message that day, and I was, I was seeing the clips of what was going on in Charlottesville, and as I saw the, the radical uh, racism that was uh, happening there with the alt-right folks and uh, everything that they were representing at that moment, uh, and then I saw someone get in a car and drive through a crowd and run over innocent people right there. I just, you know, just, we just saw that, and I was just so impacted in my soul. Uh, maybe I've been having feelings along the way about the way life was going and uh, I just know all the way back two years ago during the election, we did a whole series on how we could treat each other better. But you know what? I just As I was sitting there and I was reflecting on this, it hit me deep in my soul, deep in my soul. I, actually, I was outraged at the injustice I saw. I was incensed at the absolute disregard for lives 
of other human beings. In fact, attitudes and actions had been justified uh, to make other people be less than human, and so therefore we can act that way towards them because they're not human. Folks, the dehumanization of people is one of the biggest dangers in the culture we live in today. Just ask any person of Jewish descent whose family was brutally treated or exterminated by the Nazis during the reign of Hitler, and you'll get an idea of just what dehumanization can do and what the results can be. The summer, right around the same time as the Charlottesville incident, in fact, it happened right at the same time, uh, I was introduced by a man named Brian Stevenson, and, and I heard Brian speak, and uh, he's an African-American man, and he was talking about uh, his passion and his mission to uh, eradicate and bring uh, social change into our culture today, that to eradicate discrimination and racial discrimination and dehumanization of people. And he was adamant that we can do something. We must do something, but we can do something. And I knew as I was listening to him and reflecting again as we watched this talk again this week as a staff, I want to be part of something like that. I want to be part of something with that kind of renewal in mind. I knew I wanted God to use me to bring that kind of revival to our community, to our country, that kind of change. And I felt a strong leading back in August. I'd already planned the series that we were going to do this fall, and uh, it was going to be very helpful. It was going to be God's word. We were going to hear from him, but I felt a very strong leading by the Holy Spirit to put aside what I'd planned for this fall, and instead to talk about the issues that we face, to talk about the things that we're feeling that we don't get to hear about, we don't get to have God's perspective put on, and I would say in a clear way, so that those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ could hear from God and have a biblical perspective by which we can have a worldview as we look at the things going on around us. And I just thought then, I'd heard this phrase, and I thought, this is the phrase. This is what we're going to do as a church. And the phrase was, love everyone always. Love everyone always. And today what we're going to do is we're going to just dive in. It's not going to be just a toe on the edge. We're going to dive into this concept of how you and I can learn to love everyone always. And we're going to go to one place in the Bible, one place where it gives clear direction on how we can treat others in the time of divisiveness and hatred and anger and violence and mistrust that we live in. So if you would, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. I have a Bible here just to show you. If you don't own a Bible, our church would love for you to own a Bible. And so if you'll stop, there's a bookshelf out there. We want to give you one just as a reference that you can have this as our gift to you. But also you can grab these message notes out and you're going to want to use these today because there's going to be a lot that we're going to discuss and uh, there's a lot to write. And so you're going to end up needing some of the insight as well as we go through this time today. Got a lot I want to share, a lot on my heart as God has given me this as we start this Love Everyone Always series. And today we're going to look at the golden rule. How many of you heard of the golden rule, right? You've heard of the golden rule. How many of you think the golden rule says something like this, do to others before they do unto you, right? You've heard that version of the golden rule, do to others before they do unto you. Well, there's a lot of golden rules out there, by the way, and you can see some. There's a commercial on right now with the golden rule. It's all about that, all about treating others. But by the way, that's not what the golden rule says, do unto others before they do unto you, right? Here's what it actually says, Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, 
Pretty simple, right? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And then Jesus says, for this is the law and the prophets. So he frames it, and I'm going to talk about how he frames it in just a little bit. So as I was researching uh, this verse and trying to you know, find out what other people are saying about it, uh, how's it been portrayed, how's it been reflected, how's it touched people in our, uh, in our country... I read across this painting uh, that by Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell began envisioning this painting back in 1953, 1954, something like that. It didn't come to fruition until it was on a magazine cover in 1961. Now, you can find a, a copy of this today in the United Nations. And so the United Nations has put this on their entry wall as a way to say this is exactly the kind of place that we want to create. And we want to be a place that lives by the golden rule. Now, the golden rule that we read just a moment ago has been paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. He has a Bible called the Message Bible, a paraphrase of the Bible. And this is how he took the golden rule and spoke it, and I think in words that we can all understand and relate to. He says this. He says, here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Okay, here we go. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and the prophets, and this is what you get. So what he's saying here and what Jesus said, at the end, this is, comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began uh, this sermon on a hillside. You can read it starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through the end of uh, chapter 7. And Jesus is given this awesome sermon. And in the sermon, he's given instructions. He said, here's my followers. Here's how I want you to relate to God, and here's how I want you to relate to people. Here's how I want you to relate to God, and here's how I want you to relate to people. And then he ends the whole sermon as he's coming to land the plane here, and he ends it with the golden rule. And he says at the end of the golden rule, this rule encompasses all that you can read in the in the um, law, which would be the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, about God and relating to people, and then all of my revelation that I'm giving you right now. So it's everything all up until now. This all can be encompassed. God's word can be encompassed in these words. And it's the golden rule. And then what we know is we just understand Jesus' teachings. This is so similar to another place where a man actually came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to do the right thing. Would you tell me what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Because they had so many commandments and the oppression was so on them to try to keep all of these rules. And Jesus said to that man at this point, Mark chapter 12, he says this, the most important commandment is this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength that's the first one and the second one is equally you might want to underline that word equally some of us don't quite see equally there equally is important equally means what same as equally is important love your neighbor as yourself no commandment is greater than these you know people say well i love god it's just people i hate you know i can't agree <laughs> but that's not what jesus says that's not what you can do you have to love god and love people that's what God is calling us to. Now, I believe there is an order that is extremely helpful as we think about this whole idea of loving God and loving people. And the order is begin with God, and it's a lot easier to love people. But if you don't begin with God, it's really hard to love people, right? Because you're going to run out of your own stuff. You're going to run out of your own strength to be able to love others. So it begins, I believe, with loving God, and then it moves outward and allows me then to love people. But here's the deal. As I learn to love God... 
and I learn to experience the love that God has for me, then I'm more able to be willing to share that with other people so they can also know God and experience love from him as well. So the golden rule is a one-verse summary of the entire Old Testament and all of Jesus' revelation up to this point. So it's a one-verse summary of everything in that. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, but when, uh, so like with Norman Rockwell, when he painted that painting, he had been doing a comparative religion study, and he had found that there were all kinds of versions of the golden rule. And so I'm not sure you're aware of that, but almost every world religion has a version of the golden rule. There's just one significant difference between those versions and the version Jesus gave. And so they've actually been categorized as the silver rule and the golden rule. So I'm going to give you the silver rule so you can know what that is. And then we're going to look at what Jesus says. And you're going to see them just side by side and see why Jesus' rule is so much stronger and more difficult as well. So the silver rule says this. It's from the negative. Do not to others what you do not wish done to yourself. Do not to others what you do not wish done to yourself. So that's from Confucius, but you can read the same thing in uh, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. All other teachings have some form of this negative. So don't do to someone else so that they won't do to you. Basically, it's the whole idea of the silver rule. So the emphasis is on the negative. The emphasis on what you are not to do. The emphasis is on restraining yourself so that you can be a better person. So you're constantly holding yourself back, trying to control yourself, being actually someone that you're not, because you're afraid that if you do something that they're going to do it back to you, so you're going to restrain and hold yourself back. The golden rule, on the other hand, is given by Jesus, comes with this whole concept, right, it's loaded right in, of loving everyone always. And basically, it's taking out the not or the negative. And the golden rule would say this. You want to write this down. Do to others what you would wish done to yourself. Do to others what you would wish done to yourself. Do you see the difference when you see the difference between the golden rule and then the silver rule? The difference between what Jesus came to bring and what religion offers? Jesus came to bring so much more. Taking out the negative changes the entire thing. It shapes everything. See, if you look at the silver rule, honestly, you think, this is doable. And most of our culture is showing us how we can just restrain ourselves. And if we just restrain ourselves, then that's going to be showing love to other people. It's actually kind of doable in my own strength. And and it's because the silver rule just demands that I restrain myself and hold myself back. Don't do anything and you're good. Basically, that's the silver rule. Don't do anything and you're good. But the golden rule... When you read this, I don't know about you, it just overwhelms me with what I say is the impossibility. The impossibility of doing the words that Jesus said here. How can I actually do this? The difference between the silver rule and the golden rule is the silver rule is about doing nothing and the golden rule is about doing everything. Nothing to everything. So we're called to that. And it's, Okay, now let's just allow this golden rule today to just kind of speak to us. Well, that's a lot of God to speak to us here. And I'm going to give you three, four ideas, actually, as we go through our time together today. And the first one is this. If we're going to love everyone always, we must see everyone as God does. We must see everyone as God does. So the golden rule, or loving everyone always, it begins with how you see people. Now, I'm going to come back and talk about this a lot in the coming weeks as we go through the series. But I just want to kind of breeze by it today because this is the beginning place. This whole idea is how we see people. And here's the deal. You and I, we have to learn to see people as God does. 
We have to learn to see people as God does. Now, I say this, this is not natural. Not natural in any way. So what do we do? We tend to assess people, right? We tend to judge people. And we tend to assign people value based upon categories or stereotypes uh, that either have been given to us or they're part of the group that we're in and part of it at the time in some way uh, or that, that we've just worked, to get worked out over time in our own mind. So the Bible says, though, that God sees everyone as a trophy, as a trophy because he made them. Everyone was created by God in a mother's womb to be in relationship with him and others. So when God creates a person, then God sees a person, he doesn't look at their socioeconomic status, he doesn't look at their education, he doesn't look at the success, the things that they've been able to attain in some way, he doesn't look at their physical appearance, uh, and, and all of this, and then he has this scale, you know, how they're going to measure up, and then I'm going to give you value and worth, you know, now you measure up to all these things. That's not the way God works. In fact, Genesis 1.27, so clear about the way God works, says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In his own image. In an image of God, he created them. And so what, right there in Genesis, right at the very beginning of the Bible, what we learn is, is that God created creates everyone equally and fully. Creates everyone equally and fully. So we are all, every one of us, a human being. I was just looking around to make sure. We don't have any aliens here today, but we're all human beings, okay? That's what we're made. Everyone you meet, folks, just got to get this in your head. Everyone you meet, everyone you talk to, everyone you lay eyes on, Everyone you read about in social media and the things that you're seeing there, everyone you come in contact with, everyone you observe, everyone you see on television, everyone you read that their Twitter feeds, everyone is created in the image of God. And therefore, everyone is valuable to him. No matter what classification has been put on, not what, no matter what discrimination people place on them, everyone is valuable to God. See, what we do in our, we do, and all, I'm so, this is so me. We make snap judgments, right? So we immediately assess someone. You know, we come in, we see them, we you know, look at, we've learned what our scale is, and we immediately assess people and we place judgments on them. But what God asks us to do is he says, withhold those judgments. This is an area of restraint. Withhold those judgments and see them as I see them. Love them as I love them. One author said it this way. Every person who crosses your path is an image bearer of the most high God. So folks, you've never seen a person who doesn't matter to God. Now, I know it's radical. Never seen a person who doesn't matter to God. Every single person you meet every single day is a person that Jesus Christ went to the cross for. Every single person. God only treasures, this is crazy. God only treasures one thing in this world it's people. It's people. He treasures every single one of them. And so then, as we come in contact with people, God wants us to treasure them as well. Now, I'm going to have some quotes along the way in, in this talk. Uh, 
some from John Calvin. This is the 500 year of the Reformation, and John Calvin was very instrumental in that. But he's also a great pastor, and he wrote some really deep things about the things we're talking about. And here's one of his quotes. The Lord commands us to do good unto all men without exception, though the majority are very undeserving, right? Right. I'm undeserving. You're really undeserving, but very undeserving when judged according to my merits or the things that I do to earn that. The scripture teaches us that we must not think of man's real value, but only of his creation in the image of God to which we owe all possible honor and love, that we must think of man's real value. Not think of the real value, but only of his creation, image of God. And then we owe all possible love and honor. Love and honor. Today, this week, love. Next week, honor and respect. So if you could just emblazon this on your mind, it would motivate and strengthen you to love everyone always. Okay, so that's the first idea. Is we got to wrap our brains around that. It's really foundational to the entire series. Second is this. If we're going to love everyone, we must make loving everyone our highest goal. If that's what Jesus says, the most important thing, then I need to say to Jesus, I'm going to make that my highest goal with you. I'm going to work together with you, Jesus. In fact, it's right out of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul is writing at the end of the love chapter. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. He says, let love be your highest goal. Let your love be your highest goal because it's love that's going to have an impact. A couple of weeks ago, we used this phrase by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this is where I was just so blown away this week. Uh, and I, I respect Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've read about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've stood in the place where he gave his I Dream of Speech, I Dream speech, stood right there, uh, and you know tried to live that moment. But this week, as I started doing all the study for here uh, uh, for this you know talk, and uh, and I just Googled Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quotes, okay. First site I came to had 225 quotes, and so I'm just, I went through all of them because I wanted to find one that I thought would actually be appropriate, and I'm reading all of them, reading through, and finally, I'm just going through this, and I'm just going, the world lost out when Dr. Martin Luther King was taken early because he was so wise. He was so loving. He really understood his times. What a wise man. But here's one of his quotes we used a couple of weeks ago. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Only love can do that. Now, you guys know a couple of weeks ago, uh, right here in our community, we had a racial incident uh, that was despicable uh, in every way, shape, or form. Uh, that uh, a man by the name of Jamal Walker, uh, his son, a black family, his son was walking down the street high school student here at NU, and uh, a car came up beside them uh, with some 20-year-olds in it and started yelling out racial slurs uh, to his son as he's walking down the street and, and just continued that as they were just driving out right here on Main Street, right here in our town, driving down the street yelling racial slurs out the window. And it was just in, 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 it was crazy that it went on as they turned the corner even down the street. And you know what? as uh, Jamal was reflecting on this later as his son came down, uh, came home and told him about it, he was just shocked that not one person stood up for his son. Not one person. And so as people were reading this, people were saying, well, I, I want to stand up for your son. And so through a whole thing that happened with it going viral, uh, that there was a love walk in downtown Grass Valley on Friday evening, 5 o'clock, and 1,200 people showed up 
had three days notice. 1,200 people showed up, and they were there to protest and say that we are going to make love real in Nevada County, Love Walk. So there's the pictures of what happened there. And as you can see that, and you know, it's just fascinating, but it's just reality, folks. You see, most of the people are white in, that, in those pictures, and it's just the reality of where we live. And, and I think that's one of the challenges for us as a community, is for us to get beyond, uh, for us to understand each one of us. And this is where God's been just really softening my heart lately. I grew up in Oklahoma, and uh, the community I lived in was, was, had some racist, strong tendencies, um, and, and I know that that's in me. And so God's been showing me more and more my heart. And, um, and I just wanted to say that every one of us who grew up in a white environment, that in some way we have a racist heart. There's no, it just has to happen, folks. And so what I would encourage you to do is just allow God to speak into your heart about your influence, the ways you were influenced, and ask him, is there any way that you want to work on my heart, God, about my racist attitudes? And then here's the end of the march. Um, that We have Howard Levine there and Jamal. Howard Levine's on the left, and you know he's the big guy in downtown Grass Valley at his wife's memorial service just this weekend. And then Jamal, and they were, together we love, together we love. And so that was the end of the march. And uh, I wished I could have been there. I had a wedding, that uh, all kinds of wedding stuff that I was involved in that weekend, a rehearsal that night uh, that had been planned a year before, so I couldn't switch you know, and be there. But I definitely made sure to tune in and watch the video of what had happened there, and I was just so moved by that. Now, what I want to do is I want to transition from, if we want to do love, what does love mean? What does it mean to love other people? Well, we're going to go to the same verses I used that weekend for a wedding, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and it's going to read these. And what I'd love to ask you to do is I read these. I'm going to read them slowly, and then I'm going to come back and walk through them again. Uh, but I'd like to ask you just to let God's words speak to your heart, okay? Let God's words speak to your heart. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then right after that, he says the words, Paul writes the words, let this love be your highest goal. Let this love be your highest aim in the way you live. So I'm just going to walk through this. So she's, Denise is going to go back to the first slide, and I'm going to walk through this. There's really no place for you to take notes on this. This will encourage you to watch it at another time uh, and just to re-engage with this. Or maybe there's, I just want, I'm going to walk through this. One thing, I want God to speak to you about your issue, your area that he wants you to grow in love about or where you're struggling. And so let's just kind of listen to the Holy Spirit as we walk through this. Patience. Wow. If I'm patient, I, I, I'm actually living life as if I understand I'm not the only person in the universe. Really? I'm not the only person here? And that there are other people with needs, there are other things going on, there are other pressing things that other people are involved with. And so if I'm a patient person, I've learned to wait. 
to get my needs met so that someone else could get their needs met first. Kindness. Seems like, you know, when we have kindness, it means that I'm going to give. Well, what it means is, is I'm going to give in abundance. So I'm going to take from my abundance, and instead of just giving what I think is a reasonable amount, I'm going to give abundantly, generously to someone else who has a need. Isn't those are the two things that says love is. Then it goes on to here's love is not. Love isn't envious. Love has no room for the resentment that comes from wanting what other people have. This is an area I find myself in a lot. I want what you have. I mean, I'm serious. I want what other people get to experience, and I'm caught up in that envy. And some, when I'm caught up in that envy, I'm losing the opportunity to be close to God. And it's pushing you away from me because I'm resenting that, resenting what you have. Love isn't boastful. So love cannot be expressed when we're busy making ourselves the leading character of our narrative. That's self-seeking. I mean, boastful. I'm, I, I'm the leading character of my narrative, so I'm always making sure that you know all about me, and I'm boasting about the things I do. Uh, folks, this is, this is why I think social media, one of the biggest, biggest things, of dangers of social media is the look at me syndrome. Look at me syndrome. Love isn't prideful. Uh, love is willing to let other people go first to say, you know, I'm not the most important person in the universe, and so I'm going to step back, and I'm not going to be prideful about the things I've done, and instead I'm going to let you go first in this case. Love isn't dishonorable. So love is not rude. It doesn't act with disrespect. Love is not self-seeking. So this would say that love is focused on other, me helping other people get their needs met. So instead of me getting my needs met, then I'm going to make sure that I'm working to get your needs met. I'm able to put myself in the, need, in the shoes of others. And so I'm able to then respond to them out of what I think their needs are. Love isn't easily angered. It has a long fuse. And it's willing to give the benefit of the doubt. Long fuse and give the benefit of the doubt. Love isn't a scorekeeper. It doesn't judge people on how they measure up doesn't judge people on how they keep the rules, <clears throat> isn't a tit for tat, go through life. Uh, I, think, I, I, think we're, I think I owe you, you owe me. I owe you, you owe me. So it isn't a scorekeeper. It's just like, I give to you and doesn't keep score. Love does, doesn't delight in evil. Love doesn't have room to cooperate with evil in any way, shape, or form. No evil in love. But here's what love does. Love rejoices in the truth. Love makes sure that it's only going to share what is true and what builds others up. So what is true and what builds others up? Love always protects. So when we're loving, we need to be the people who step out of our comfort zone, move forward, move beyond our fear to offer protection for those who are vulnerable. Offer protection. Love watches over those who are on the fringes, those who are alone, those who are scared, those who don't have anyone to defend them, those who wonder if anyone cares. Love always trusts. So love puts trust in the gap. When there's a gap, okay, between what you expect someone to do or what they've said they're going to do and then what you actually saw or received. So when that gap is there, instead of putting doubt in the gap or mistrust in the gap, I put trust in the gap. And what I do when there's a gap, I create a positive narrative. I can't tell you how much this helps me. That put a, instead of putting a negative narrative in place about why there's a gap there, and now I've judged you, and now I've pushed you away from me in relationship, I 
Instead, make it to be a positive narrative about how you intended to do this and what was going on. And now I'll ask you because I care about you and the circumstances and situations. Love always hopes. See, hope is a vision of what might happen. It's a vision of what might happen. It's a vision of what God can do in the life of another person. We don't know what God wants to do, do we? In the life of others, we don't have a clear idea of what he wants to do, but he wants to do in the life of a person. It's a vision that, what, okay, this, if God can do what he's done in me, then imagine what he can do in you. With what he had to work with in me. If he could do this in me, imagine what he could do with the material that you're made of. Imagine what he could do in that way. Hope believes the best about people, and it believes that with God, all things are possible. Love always perseveres. Love will be there when others take the easy road. Love takes, I love this phrase, the road less traveled. Others taking the easy road, love takes the road less traveled. Just as God never gives up on us, we're reminded to persevere in love with other people. Love believes that anything's possible with God. Now, you know, when I just want to say this, and I'm going to reemphasize it in just a moment, is that uh, we can have boundaries. It's okay because we're limited people. We have limitations. That's, that's the thing of understanding humans. God made us to have limitations. That's why we need God to give us his strength in this. So I'm not saying that we overextend to be able to love, but it perseveres and hangs with. And then love never fails. I just say, you can never go wrong if you act in love. You can never go wrong if love is your first action, your first thought. You can never go wrong. So decide on the loving thing to do and act on it, even if you're not sure it's going to work, right? But do it anyway. So here we go, the fill in there. We're responsible to love everyone always as we want to be loved without exception. There's no exception clause. Without exception. And this is where I wanted to say clearly with boundaries. With boundaries. We all have limits. The problem is some of us, we have our limits so high. We have our boundaries so high. We've never really been able to see what God can do because we live within the boundaries we've created. Because we're not willing to step out and love without exception. Now look at what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, love values others and acts with their best interest in mind. He says this, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What was the attitude that Jesus had? The golden rule. The golden rule. He said, that's the attitude I want you to have. And it was the attitude that he gave. He submitted himself to God's plan. He humbled himself and he went to the cross as a servant for us. So that's the attitude that Paul is talking about. So be people who focus on the needs and interest in others. So I'm just going to ask, as we think about love, what is the opposite of love? Don't you think about that now. What is the opposite of love? Somebody want to help me? What's the, the, hate. Apathy, indifference, fear. Is it? Fear is the answer. The opposite of love is fear. We see hate and love put together, and we think that the opposite of love is hate. That is not accurate. If you listen to the voices of culture who are crying out, you would believe that hate is the enemy, that hate is the opposite of love, but that's not correct. Fear is the opposite of love. Hate is fear expressing itself. Hate is fear expressing itself. Fear causes people to hate. Fear causes people to shout others down. 
Fear causes people to mistrust. Fear causes me to protect myself. Fear causes me to hedge. Fear causes me to hold on to what I have. The opposite of love is fear. And so in order to love, I need to ask God to help me to overcome my fear. And what that means is, is I need to say to God, I am going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. Here's another quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says this, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And I would just say, we put fear is too great a burden to bear. Okay, third thing, third idea is this. Do whatever you can to love everyone by making your ideal world a reality for your neighbor. This is where it's going to get really hard. By making your ideal world a reality for your neighbor. So let's just go back and we're going to take apart the golden rule for just a second. So Jesus says this, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So that word, the first word is whatever. So what does that mean? Whatever. It means everything and anything, right? So first of all, Jesus is saying, so in everything, in any way, in anything, for everything, anything, any way, you wish that others, so wish, that's a key word there, wish. Now, you know, in my house right now, wish is becoming, you know, uh, moving up on the, the list of words used. You know, I had those things that say how many words did you use on Facebook and what were they? The word in our house that's moving up right now is wish because it's getting close to Christmas. You guys know it's close to Christmas? In our house, it's close to Christmas. We're already making a wish list. We already have Christmas music playing, and we're getting to watch Christmas movies, movies really quickly, okay? That's the way it works in my house. Uh, but wish, you know, what, so a lot of us, we're afraid to wish, and so we're afraid of this concept of wishing because when we came to Christ, we were told that we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And so because of that, we're not allowing ourselves to have what I would call holy imagination, holy wishful imagination. And this is one case where God says to do it. Have a holy wishful imagination for what you want. And we're really good at that, right? We can be pros at that. For what we want. Imagine the best world that you want for yourself. Now help your neighbor have it. That's what the golden rule says. The best world that you'd want for yourself. Now help your neighbor experience it. Do whatever you can to help your neighbor experience your ideal world. Once again, Calvin, John Calvin says this. He says, where our own advantage is concerned, there is not one of us who cannot explain minutely and ingeniously what ought to be done when it's about us, right? We can tell you every little thing minutely and ingeniously. So whatever you do, wish do for others. And the key word is do. So in the silver rule, the key word was don't. In the golden rule, the key word is do. First John 3, 18, it's not in your notes, but it says this, let's not merely say that we love others, let us show the truth by our actions. So do is the positive command. I'm going to do what Jesus says. I'm going to go out and make my ideal world a reality for my neighbors. Now, yeah, when you hear that, is anybody there like going, I'm going to sign up for that? I mean, in our heart, we may want to say that, but then we're starting, we're like, well, golly, do you know how much that would cost? 
golly, don't you know how many, I don't have much resource to do that. Golly, how am I ever going to make that? I can't even make it happen for me. How am I going to happen for my neighbor? Well, Jesus puts this whole golden rule in a context. And so the last idea I want to give you is this, ask God for what you need. Ask God for what you need. Not so that you'll be more blessed, but so that you'll have what you've dreamed up that you want, that you now can give to others, and you can extend that to them. So but what we're talking about today is not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. That's why the silver rule is so appealing. That is humanly possible, to restrain myself and to don't. But to do is not humanly possible. So that's why Jesus puts this in context. This is what he says right before in Matthew 7, 7 through 8. He says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Isn't this crazy? How many times have you read these verses, and you thought what Jesus was saying was, if you have something you want, ask me. And isn't that logical that that's what we would think he says? But what is Jesus actually saying? When he gets down to the golden rule, he's saying, if you have someone you want to give to something you want to give to someone else, ask me. Ask me, and I'll provide. And then he says this, for everyone who asks receives... Everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And so when I ask God with a sincere heart, a surrendered heart, then he says he's going to give it. He's going to make it possible. So we're going to get to listen to a song now, and it really goes all the way back to the beginning of the message, all the way through the message. It's going to set up the tension, and it's going to talk about the solution. So I invite you to listen to this, and I'll come back and close us in a prayer right after that.
Great, it's a wild world. Love. So we're going to close with a prayer, and the prayer is from St. Francis of Assisi. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, just put your stuff down. If you just put your hands on your lap, palms up, and so you can be in a place of reception, but also surrender. And the, the words will be on the screen if you want to have eyes open, you want to have eyes closed. I'm just going to read this right exactly as he wrote it. And I think it really speaks so well. It's a prayer, it's a call to love everyone always. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And Jesus, I thank you so much that you inspired St. Francis to write this poem, this prayer. And Lord, let it be our prayer. But not just our prayer, let it be our heart. And I pray now that you would help us each, each one, to just come before you now, Father, and that you would show us, where can I love others? How can I love others in a way that would show your love, God? in a way that would show the love of Jesus. How can I love others? Would you show me, God? And then for those of us who aren't, aren't followers of Christ yet, you're still pursuing him or you're here for the first time and you just want to say, I want to know Jesus like that. If you wanted to say yes to him today, you could just say something like, Jesus, I come before you knowing I need you. I surrender myself. I confess my sin. And I ask you to cleanse me, renew me, restore me, and make me whole. And God, I pray for all of us that the seed that's been planted today, that we would allow to grow into a full-blown fruit life of love for you. And I pray that you would help our church to be known as a church where 
all neighbors can be loved. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.